You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. That beautiful grandson turns one year old next Sunday. We're so excited. We're so excited. All right. Has anybody made a joke about daylight savings time yet? No? Hope you guys are awake or I don't put you to sleep. All right? Okay. So um, when I was a teenager, I went uh, to visit my grandparents for Christmas. And on my mom's side, there's many, many cousins. Anybody from a big family? I am the oldest of all of those crazy cousins. And they live on uh, some land, and so they had a field out there that we would get to take, uh, you know, go-karts or four-wheelers. And they had this mule, and if you're unfamiliar with what a mule is, it's kind of like a four-wheeler, but it's covered, and it's like a truck that you shouldn't take on the road. <laughs> so I loaded up the cousins in the back, and I asked my Mimi, I was like, can we take the mule out to, to the field? And she says, sure, but it's been raining. Make sure you do not get it stuck. And I said, I've got this. I've had my permit for weeks now. I know how to do it. Don't worry. It's fine. I'm going to take them on a field trip for Christmas. It's going to be fun through the woods. And so we get out there, and I get confident because I'm like, I don't really see those mud patches she was talking about. It's fine. I go over this hill, catch a little air. You know, nobody was harmed, so it was okay. <laughs> and then we keep going and going and going until suddenly... I get in this pit of mud I did not realize was mud because the grass was a little high. And so I'm going, rrr, 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 and I'm stuck. And I did exactly what my Mimi said not to do. So I messed up, and I needed help. And who was there to help me but those cousins? And mind you, it was Christmas, so they hop out of the back of the truck before I realize that they have their brand-new Christmas shoes on. They're Nikes, maybe a pair of Jordans, a fancy one, you know. He's like, I got my Jordans, but I don't care because I'm still country. And so he gets in the back, and they're pushing the mule, and I'm revving it, and everybody's getting splashed with mud, trying my best because we've got about 100 yards to make it back to the house. And finally, we get out after like 20 minutes, and we're all just like pushing it, and we trade, and we take turns, everything. But uh, yeah, so it was... A mess. So when we get back to the house, I say, it was I who caused the problem <laughs> and went to repent to my aunts for their children's Nikes being ruined. And it was awful. So that whole afternoon, I was like, okay, nobody asked me to do this, but I know it's the right thing to do. I messed up. I'm going to own my part. I need help. I went and took their Nikes and all of the stuff, and I tried to scrub them off in the bathtub as for as much as I could. And it was so pitiful, and I'm crying. I'm like, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I don't, I'll use all my gift cards to buy them new shoes. And I'm just like, and the thing is, is they didn't care. But I, I, I messed up. I, I needed help. I owned my part and did what I could to clean up my mess. Some of you today are stuck in the mud. It's time to get out. There's no shame. That's the beautiful part of who God is, that there's no shame. But what does this look like? It means taking ownership, moving forward, understanding that repentance is a beautiful thing, not a scary thing. Because God is full of compassion and full of kindness. Romans 8, 
verses 1 through 2, if you're taking notes today. There's, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through him the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. The Holy Spirit's ready today. I believe that the family of God is ready today to help people out of the mud. If you're stuck, are you ready? All right, so the question is, how did I get here? How did I get here? It was going so well until the grass got high and I got stuck in the mud. That's the question we need to ask ourselves. How, how did I get here? Did I fall asleep at the wheel? Did I do it on purpose? Most of the time, not. Sometimes we just find ourselves in a spot that we're like, wow, this is unfamiliar territory and I don't know how to get out. Today's the day for examination and motivation. There's no shame here. There is no shame. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, Romans 2.4. It's God's kindness. Say, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Yeah, yeah. Like an autopsy, we can examine it. I love medical shows. Anybody love medical shows in here? I'm that weirdo who's like, ooh, surgery. Let me watch it. I would pass out if I ever was in an OR or saw a scalpel. But I'm like, wow, how glamorous. But in an autopsy, you examine it, you take note of what went wrong, and then we put it to rest. Today, under the blood of Jesus, we're going to put it to rest. Holy Spirit helps in every facet. For example, you know, the worldly consequences. Sometimes you get mud on other people. And we have this honor and responsibility to work with the Holy Spirit and say, I'm owning my part. I believe that there is forgiveness and there's no shame. And I'm going to move forward because he has great plans for your life. Right? All right. There was once a man who was asking the same question from a very uncomfortable place. His name was Jonah. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. Uh-oh. Thanks. Thank you very much. Jonah chapter 2. If you're unfamiliar with Jonah, Jonah was an Old Testament prophet between 800 and 750 B.C., He lived a couple miles north of Nazareth in the region of Galilee. So God calls him to preach repentance to a city of about 120,000 that was 500 miles northeast um, of Galilee. If you know the story, you know that he says, no, thank you. And he flees in the opposite direction. He gets on a boat and goes as far as, as possible away to Tarshish. That's a hard word to say, but it's modern-day Spain. And so he gets on a boat, and he flees the opposite direction. And that day, it was the farthest place you could get to in the modern world. So he gets on the boat, doesn't know anybody in the boat, nobody knows who he is, and a storm starts brewing. And the sailors who served of their gods are like, what is happening? They're praying to their gods. They begin to cast lots and be like, somebody's got to be responsible for this because this feels a little unnatural, maybe supernatural. And the, and the lot, lot casts towards Jonah. And they say, who are you and what did you do? And why are you on my boat? <laughs> You're taking us out. And he says this. His response is just amazing to me. He says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. 
They said, this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? Because they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So let's fast forward. Um, well, not yet. So they throw him off the boat. <laughs> it was his suggestion, though. They said, okay, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to own my part. Throw me off. And then they hear a noise. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Dun, dun. A great big fish comes and swallows him up, and he was there for three days and three nights. So, um, let's go to Jonah chapter 2 now. This is Jonah's prayer. From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. He answered me. And from the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the sea, and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head, and the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you from your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and he vomited Jonah up onto dry land. I want to go back to verse 6. Here, let's, let's read it again. You brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. This reminds me, it mirrors one of David's prayers in Psalm 40, verse 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Remember, these are old Testament prayers before the death and resurrection of Jesus and yet they still had the audacity to say I know where I'm at but I will look to you because I know you listen and I know you're good and I know you're for me what I have vowed I will make good because salvation comes from the Lord this is available for me how much more do we living in the new covenant have access to the forgiveness and the call of God on our lives. You may be here today and be like, I don't feel like I'm in a pit. There's some people in here who are. There's some people in your family who are. Let's look towards them with the same eyes that Jesus has, full of kindness and compassion and forgiveness. The Holy Spirit wants to do a work in you today. Verse 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. I think that's beautiful. We forfeit the grace that could be theirs by, by, by holding on so tightly to things that don't matter. Maybe they used to matter. Maybe they were once foundational in how you lived your life. But now, in this new life that we have with Jesus, we've got to let go of those worthless things. I'm not going to list it off for you. I mean, they, they come to mind easily. 
But there's a grace that's available to you, this grace, the empowerment to live a new life. There's some things that we can learn from Jonah as to not forfeit this grace. Number one, he wouldn't let shame stop him. Again, in the Old Testament, he still would not let shame stop him. Even before Jesus manifested on the earth, he knew that God was gracious and compassionate. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, see Jonah's vice in all of this is that he did not hold the same compassion towards himself and towards others that he knew God held towards him and people on the earth. So to finish out the story, the fish throws him up, but that smelled wonderful, <laughs> onto dry land. And so he says, okay, second chance, let's do this, because I don't want to know what kind of animal's coming for me next. <laughs> so I'm going to run and go to Nineveh. And so the, the Bible says that this was an important city, so it would take typically three days to really get out the message that he was preparing to tell them to repent and to turn to the Lord. And this, these were Gentiles, too. They weren't even a part of Israel or Judah at the time. They, they were a people who did not know God. They were polytheistic, and God still calls him to go and say, hey, tell them who I am, and tell them something's bad is coming, but I'm good and I'm ready. I'm ready for them. So his vice is that he did not hold the same compassion toward them. So he preaches one day, I'm sure he didn't expect this to happen, but the whole city repents. <laughs> 120,000 people. Wow. He get, the Holy Spirit convicts the king's heart, and he mandates a fast throughout the city and says, here's who we're turning to, the God of heaven and earth. So the Bible says in verse three, chapter 3, verse 10 says, God saw the repentance, had compassion, and did not destroy Jonah was angry that God didn't destroy them. I was like, doesn't that defeat the purpose that you went there in the first place? What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> I just think it's kind of funny and sad. <laughs> but I'm like, it, it took one day what you thought would take three. Supernatural miracle in itself. This is one of the biggest accounts in the Bible of an entire city as a revival towards the Lord. And you expect that it, God wouldn't do what he said he would do? That's exciting. <laughs> He's bigger than our doubt. <laughs> so when God calls you to a city, you should expect for more. You know? Compassion is one of the greatest keys to forgiveness. It's one of the greatest keys. See, God's compassion locks shame out. So have compassion for yourself and for others. Because the, the thing is, is that it, wasn't, it was more of an identity issue with Jonah. Throughout this account, we can see that Jonah at some points begs for God to take his life. I mean, even on the boat, you can see that he's the one who suggested to throw me off the boat. And the sailors at first were hesitant. They're like, if you serve this God, what, are, what is he going to do to us if we throw you off the boat? And then the seas get rougher and rougher. And they're like, okay, we will throw you off the boat. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> if, if, you, if it was your idea, sure. So he was suicidal throughout it. More than once he says, God, it is better for me to die than to live. He didn't have compassion for himself. He could see that God had compassion for him, that he could lift his eyes to heaven and God would hear him. But there was no love for him. And that affected the love that he had for others. 
If we really love others like we love ourselves, we have to ask, am I loving myself well? Am I loving myself like Jesus loves me? God's breaking insecurity in the room today. It's, it's so important that you get this thing off you so you can run with him like you were called to do. So, compassion is one of the greatest keys to forgiveness. We have to lock shame out. So, another mud story today. If you can tell that I'm a mom of a boy, <laughs> this is where my brain is at. Mud and trucks and sports. <laughs> so, um, I was in youth group, and I grew up in a lake town, and we went um, to the lake at the end of summer, and they had already drained the lake, so people who lived around there could, you know, work on their seawalls seasonally, and, but it was kind of in a branch off of where the lake was, and we get in, and we're like, we're going swimming, and it's just mud up to your knees, <laughs> right below the water. It's just, we jump in, and we're like, oh, this is not as fun, <laughs> so... What do teenagers do? We come up with an irresponsible game, and we're like, we're going to swim to the other side because we thought the whole thing was just going to be up to our knees. And why not go to, you know, the state park that was on the other side? It was about 200 yards wide. And about 75% way through, the mud stops, and the water gets up to our chest. And then we're like, we got to keep going. We're committed. And so the group of 10 of us, we start swimming, and then it gets over our head. This is not responsible. Do not let your kids do this. Do not do this. <laughs> if you go to Lake Alatoona, don't do it. <laughs> so we're swimming across. We get to the other side. We're exhausted. We're sitting there, and I'm like, I'm going to go even further. So I get up, take one step to you know, venture out into the woods, and I slip from the muck in the mire, and I slit my entire foot open <laughs> on the side. I've got a battle wound. Sorry if you're cringy today and squeamish. So, again, I told you I like surgery. So, but I didn't have stitches on me at the time, and I would have passed out. Um, so, what do I do then? Like, it's too far to yell at the other people who stayed on the shore um, with wisdom and understanding. And so it's like us, we're like, hey, we've got a wounded one. And so I was like, what, what can we do except go because the water's too shallow for even fishing boats to get to where we were and so we swim back and we swim that 50 yards and I'm trying to keep my foot out of the water and swim on my back at the same time I don't know if you've ever tried that but it is not not fun <laughs> so um so we get there and then the swim was the easiest part because then we got to get back into the mud and there's no way for me to keep my leg up the entire time so my friends are trying to help me hop through the mud and it's impossible because it's just you know sludge so we get there we get to the shoreline and by that time some of the mom chaperones are seeing someone limping all the way through and so they run to the shore and they meet me and baptize me in hydrogen peroxide <laughs> and I was saved yeah. <laughs> thankfully I didn't like you know get like a staph infection or anything it's gross <laughs> so so the mothers ran to meet me to help me heal. Yeah, gangrene, gross. So, again, I'm sorry if y'all are squeamish. So they, they ran to meet me to help me heal. It's time for the mothers and the fathers to get ready for the muddy people coming up out of the mud. And help. You've been equipped. You brought your first aid kit, your spiritual first aid kit. You know what you need. 
You know how to talk to people with kindness and gentleness. You know how to reflect the Father. There are people who are on the way to the church who've never experienced people who would actually want to help with nothing in return except just to show the love of the Father. Be that. It's exciting. You get to be the first face of Jesus someone sees in some occasions. That's really fun. And it's humbling and sobering, but very exciting. So number two, what we can learn from Jonah as to not forfeit this grace and knowing how to move forward is that it's not just about you. It's about more than your life. Generations are waiting on your yes. Jonah's yes brought the knowledge of God and salvation to many. How will your life do the same? If you came in here today feeling like, I don't know if I have a part to play in the kingdom of God, let me just wipe that away right now. You have an important role in the body. But I'm not on stage. But I don't know how, I've never prayed for someone before. I've never seen anybody get healed. You have an important role to play in the kingdom of God. You're a part of the family. You're not the neighbor next door. You're in the family. Right? Yeah. So, can I get a drink really quick? Thank you. So, a long, long time ago, not that long ago, it was in this century, there was a healing crusade happening in a small southern town at a local church, and a Sunday school teacher was tasked with going around to different neighborhoods locally, knocking on doors and asking if somebody in the house needed prayer or wanted to come and get healed. And uh, it was exciting, but you know, probably kind of nervous because you never know if somebody's going to slam the door in your face, right? But he said yes, and he went and he, he came up to this door and a woman answers the door and invites her to the healing crusade. And what he doesn't know is that this woman's husband had been to church before, maybe this church, maybe a different church, but he was very church hurt. He immediately says, nope, slam the door, get out of here. I'm not going back. Because what the Sunday school teacher didn't know is that the first and only time he ever visited a church, this family of farmers and sharecroppers wore their Sunday best, which were overalls and a T-shirt, probably had some holes and some dirt on them. And they sit down on the pew, and as they sit in and settle in to this, you know, new place, he gets a tap on his shoulder, and it's a deacon and says, excuse me, sir, you're not quite dressed properly enough to be in this service. We're going to have to ask you to leave or at least move to the back. Crazy, right? So he says, well, that's the last time I ever go to a church. I don't want to see a Christian. I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want anything to do with it. Because if they treat me like that, who cares? Who cares? So, fast forward. The Sunday school teacher tells the wife about the crusade. And they have two kids. And the son, who's about 10 years old, is blind in one of his eyes. And so she says, can't hurt to go try. And so she sneaks out while he's at work, 
with the son and the, the young daughter. They go to the crusade. They get prayed for, and the son's eyes open. He gets healed. So she gets saved. The son gets saved. The daughter gets saved. But now they got to sneak back into the house because dad's going to be mad. So this man, probably not very sober and very angry man, says, where have you been? I know you went to that church. How dare you disobey and what I've told our family and how we're going to live. And so he's raising his voice. It escalates. And she says, wait, 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 wait. Look at your son. And he sees his eye is opened. And he breaks. He breaks down. And he says, this is who God is. And he gets saved. The whole family gets saved because of the compassion and kindness and miraculous wonder of God. So that son grew up. He became a missionary. He taught at a Bible school in the Pacific Islands for about 30 years, pastored churches. He had a son. He was a pastor. And then he had a daughter, and she was a worship leader. It's more than your life. Generations are waiting on your yes. I don't say this to exaggerate, but literally thousands of people throughout the family line have been introduced to the gospel from that man's simple yes. What he thought might have been a mundane task or intimidating or full of fear opened the door to the kingdom of God becoming reality for so many. His obedience unlocked the door for generations. Who is waiting on your yes to the call of God on your life? It's more than you know. Whose sons and daughters will know Jesus because you showed kindness and you stepped out in faith and you prayed and you saw healing. You said yes to God. It could be simple. It could be huge. Whatever it is, God wants it. God wants to use it. He wants your life. You have an important role to play in the kingdom of God. So why further do we not want to forfeit this grace readily available to us, this empowerment to live a new life? It's because Jesus is coming soon for a pure bride, the bride being the church, the body of believers, ready for Jesus. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. All right. John the Baptist is speaking here. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Everybody say, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. 
And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that one of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Let's fast forward to verse 11. Because he's prophesying about Jesus, who's about to walk into the scene. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me, one will come who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not even fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. With the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's what Jesus did. It's what he's doing. It's what he'll always do. Because of the love for his people, he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. But what does that mean? Fire purifies, fire cleans, fire affects all its surroundings. Fire is light. That's who you are today. Because of the gift of God, of forgiveness and grace on your life, you have this fire available to you. You have this power. Why would you want to live without it? Why would you hold on to stuff that can't do any of this? This is what Jesus is offering today. A lifestyle that is pure. That is affecting all of its surroundings. That is light. I wouldn't want to live any other way. God's zealous fire is sustainable. It doesn't go out. Because some of you have been in services, you've been in churches or environments, cultures, whatever, that are like, fire of God! And then you're like, I'm so sad on Monday morning. <laughs> I don't feel it anymore, God. Where's the fire? You know, or, or you can't get rid of this thing that just seems to be clinging on to you. You can't get rid of it. But, but, but God's zealous fire is sustainable. It doesn't go out. And, you know, fire, it falls on sacrifice. May the fire on my altar never go out. I love that song. Eddie James sings it. May the fire on my altar never burn out. May the fire on my altar never burn out. Make me a house of prayer. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. What are we offering God on a daily basis? It can be a simple, simple yes. It doesn't have to be a lot. He just wants your heart. When we offer him our worship, when we offer him our, our obedience, he comes and he brings the fire. He adds to what we're offering, always. So this is exciting. This grace, we don't have to forfeit it. It's readily available to us. This other song has been on my heart all week. And as we get into ministry time, I asked Tristan if he could, he could play it, but it's Leland, love that worship leader, his, one of his older songs from like 10, 15 years ago. It's called Pure Bride, but it's written out of the uh, Revelation 21 and 22. And I'm just going to read some of these lyrics over us today. He's coming for a pure bride. He's coming for a pure bride. See him riding in the skies. See the fire in his eyes. Through the darkness, the light will shine. In his glory, he's lifted high. He's coming for a pure bride. What are you doing when no one is watching? Children, get your hearts right. He's coming for a pure bride. This is my heart today. This is what I feel like the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to each and every one of us. You may say, I don't need to get unstuck. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. 
awesome. That's the way that we want to live. We want to live free. But there are people in your life who don't feel like that all the time. So take this fire with you, this burning compassion of Jesus, and display it as you should. In every word that you speak and every decision that you make towards them, let it be motivated by love. Let it be compelled by the same compassion that God shows you every day. It's beautiful. It's humbling. It's sobering. It's exciting. And it should push you to say, God, I want more of whatever you have, whatever you're calling me to. The answer is yes. It could be in the grocery store smiling at somebody. Hard to do it with a mask on. It could be being extravagantly generous. It could be praying for someone. It could be asking the Lord for supernatural healing, stepping out in ways that seem unusual and a little bit scary. But the Lord's fire is here for you today. And our prayer today is amen, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus, that's what we want with everything. So if you could stand with me today, if we could have our ministry come, ministry team come to, to, to pray over the people who need to get prayer today. Some of our revive group leaders, some, some surge staff. I feel like there's a couple of things the Lord is calling us to today. One of those things is, is forgiveness, not only towards from God to us, but maybe that's something that you're clinging on to, forgiveness, that's hindering you from living the full life that God's called you to in the freedom of God. One of those is, is a call to feel this fire to be a, a, a great mother and father in the house, a great sister and brother who says, I'll help you out of the mud. I've got the tools to do it. God's equipped me. Let's do this together. Let's clean you up. Let's get back on track. Let, let's run together. That's who you're called to be, reminding people of who they're called to be. You're called to compassion towards yourself, towards others, I feel like if there's a spirit or thoughts of suicide today, we're lifting it off. We're exposing it. We're saying no more. No more. That's not for you. It's not from you. It's from the enemy. It's not from God. The Lord loves you so much. And that's not for you today. Compassion for yourself, for you to see yourself the way that Jesus sees you as a child of God, a call to purity. Church, we can't go on holding on to worthless idols. There can't be compromise anymore. If we're going to do and walk in everything that God has called us to do, we've got to live purely 
it's not that hard. And uh, that sounds really weird, but it, it's just the grace of God empowers you to live a new life. The spirit of God makes you crave things that you never craved before. The hunger for other things is now, it, it's just dissatisfying. You got to be so full of the Holy Spirit that everything else just makes you want to throw up. <laughs> I'm so full. I don't want that anymore. He's got so much more for me. I can't, I can't even take one more bite of that because he's set a feast before me. This is who he is. This is who he is. If you could close your eyes and bow your head today. Father, we love you. We thank you for your compassion, for your kindness. We thank you that you're here with us right now. Remind us of who we are in you, that we're children of the God of heaven and earth, and that we're called to more. If we're stuck, Lord, I thank you that love is lifting us up out of the muck and the mire. You're putting our feet on a firm place to stand. We thank you, Jesus, for the grace to live a new life as a new creation in Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for the forgiveness of God that is readily available. We turn away from sin. We turn away from anything that would hide us from you. And we say, Jesus, you can have it all. Come be the Lord of our life. If that's you today, if you have never said that to him, would you raise your hand as an act of faith? We want to pray with you. If that's somebody in the house who said, it's been a long time since I said, Jesus, come and be Lord of my life. Let's see it. Because in, the Jesus, in Jesus' name, there is freedom, there is healing, and there is no shame. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because those who are in him, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. If you want fire today, would you make your way up to the front? Because we're going to pray for fire. We're going to pray for the yes of God to be unleashed over your life. In Jesus' name, I know that there's some people in here. I know. Thank you, Jesus, so much. Lord, that you are unleashing heaven's yes over our lives. And the confidence and the zeal of God. We thank you so much in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Yeah, yeah, we thank you so much. If you're watching on live stream, know that people in here are interceding for you right now, that you're not alone. You may be alone in your home, alone in your car right now, but man, the presence of God is filling it up. And there's a cloud of witnesses cheering you on. You can do it in the name of Jesus. Tristan, why don't you go ahead and play that song as we worship together. If you need prayer, go ahead and come up here. But I just want this to wash over you today as we worship. Yeah. Yeah, we thank you, Jesus. Oh, we thank you, Lord. There's more. There's more. There's more.